text for that is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. A set of very uh, powerful uh, verses there challenging to us uh, that just, just lay some very strong foundational truths with regards to our thinking and the mind that we have. First, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of mind that we should have, that same type of mind that Christ had. And then he goes on to describe that mind in verses 6 through 8. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, this mind, letting us work towards having a right mind, towards thinking correctly. Uh, I remember one of the missionaries we had, he says, you know, most of us need a checkup from the neck up. Amen. <laughs> That's the problem is we got to make sure that our mind is in the right way that we're thinking correctly, because a lot of times we have some stinking thinking. That's what happens. We, we just think in, incorrectly and we, we, we are allowed other things to influence us instead of the word of God. We can uh, learn things from different cartoons. Uh, Dennis the Menace, that great stalwart of, uh, uh, you know, proverbial or, uh, you know, education, Dennis the Menace. We can learn a lot from him. One day he was very fearful, afraid. He went and got in his mom and dad's bed. He's crawling into bed right between mom and dad. They asked him what's the matter, and he said, you know, I wouldn't be so scared of the thunder if I could keep my mind off my thoughts. And that's what we need to do, control what's going into our mind, because that affects every part of our life. He says, man, if I could keep my mind off my thoughts, I wouldn't be afraid at all. But the problem is his thoughts were running wild about everything that could possibly be out there in the darkness, and it was affecting his life. So we need to have the right kind of mind, the Christ-like mind. Could I ask you this morning, think about your answer before you blurt it out. Uh, what is your life ambition? For you, anybody want to step out and say, you know, just describe or say, you know, what's my life's ambition? What is some goals that I have or direction that I'm headed, Miss Kim? Biggest goal is to see her children come to the saving knowledge of Christ, to be saved. Praise the Lord. Other, any other thoughts, life's ambitions, some goals that you have? Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I know nobody wants to be too spiritual. <laughs> nobody wants to say, you know, uh, want to describe their life's ambition as the, uh, you know, epitome of spirituality. Uh, but it's something worth pondering, isn't it? And, uh, you know, your life's ambition is lived out each and every day. You're, you, the, what you do each day is shaped by what your ambition is, by what your desire is. If you and I had to state our goals, if we wanted to literally try and describe our goals, what we want more than anything else in this life, what would it be? You know, some are driven by desire. Desire for fame. Willing to do almost anything for a few minutes in the limelight. 
I read this last week about a teenager who killed his entire family. When he was arrested, he smiled and said, I'm going to be famous. That was his ambition in killing his family, to be known by everyone, to be famous. That's what he desired, willing to do anything. This whole TikTok culture and the, uh, you know, anything for a few more likes or clicks or, or to possibly have a video go viral. People will do almost anything driven by a desire for fame. Some are motivated by wealth. The acquisition and accumulation of wealth is a driving force, and they're willing to do almost anything for it. You know, there are many lofty goals that one may have, life's ambitions. My grandfather, my dad's dad, who died at 58 of a heart attack, when I was a boy, I had no idea how young that was. It's looking younger and younger all the time, amen? <laughs> but I was shocked. I mean, at 58, I felt like that's grandpa. I mean, he's ancient. Obviously, he passed away because, you know, he's close to the grave already. I'm just telling you what I was thinking as a five-year-old boy. But 58, obviously, you know is very young. But his life's ambition, something he was known for, is he desired to be known as an honest man. That is something that he, he used to guide. He, he had to own his own business, a muffler shop in Crossed, Arkansas, the thriving metropolis of Crossed, Arkansas. is a population of about 5,000 during that time. I think it's a little over 6,000 now, but it's... You know, I remember going to see them and thinking, man, is this a town? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> a little bitty place. But, you know, all through town, you talk to anybody, he had a reputation of being honest. And he lived his life by that because that was a goal of his. In the book, Pearls, Points, and Parables by F.E. March, says he asked many people what their life's ambitions were. And one Christian he spoke to answered this way. He said, I desire three things, first of all, that I may be found in Christ. Secondly, that I may be like Christ. And lastly, that I may be with Christ. I don't know if it could be stated any more clearly or succinctly than that for a Christian. The desire to be found in Christ, that's where we become a Christian, where we get saved, to be found in Christ. Without Christ, we don't have salvation. Without Christ, we are not Christians. You may live like a Christian, you may act like a Christian, those are good things to do, but to be a Christian, to, be, to, to many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, amen? You have to at one point receive Christ to be in Christ. And then he says, my second, my ambition is to be like Christ. That's what I want to do. As I live my life daily is I want to strive to be like Christ. And one day, hallelujah, looking forward to the day, when I'm going to be with Christ. Amen. This struggle and the battle of life will all be over at that point. And that's the ambition and desire of every Christian. Let me ask you this. Why is a Christ-like mind so important? Anybody have any thoughts? Why is a Christ-like mind so important for us? There's not necessarily, I, I suppose there's probably some wrong answers, but Have, having the sound mind to be able to ward off the attacks of Satan. This is, this is good. That's what I mean. It's not necessarily 
a definitive answer. I'm not looking for a particular word or anything like that. We're going to be looking at it overall in the lesson today, but realizing it's very, very important to have a Christ-like mind. We see in our lesson here, it pleases the Christ-like mind, pleases the Father in three ways. First of all, a mind of selflessness. A mind of selflessness. If you follow along in your notes or filling in the blanks there, that's your first one. Verses 6 and 7, we see that uh, it's not about climbing the ladder of reputation. We're to make ourselves of no reputation. He says here in verse number 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation. He lived a selfless life. He wasn't trying to climb any ladders to achieve any notoriety. He literally laid aside his rights. You know, he was God. And certainly would not have been robbery to be equal with God. But he laid aside the rights that he had. He didn't live for his own pleasure. Now that verse that speaks of that is talking about the idea of what he wanted in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9, he says, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was God in the flesh. It wasn't robbery to be equal with God, but he laid aside that. In Romans 15 verse number 3, he says, For even Christ pleased not himself. He pleased not himself. If we're going to have a Christ-like mind, we've got to reach the place where it's not all about us where we're not striving to or our life's ambition or goal is not about making ourselves happy. Pleasing ourselves. That is a real focus in today's world, is it not? Isn't that kind of the mentality, well, I deserve to be happy. They'll even spiritualize it and say, God wants me to be happy. And, and I agree, the Lord does just want you to be happy. But he, he also tells you how to be happy. You just look in the Word of God at the things that the Bible describes as blessed, which means happy. We, we, we can be that, but it's not by trying to please ourselves. If we're going to have a Christ-like mind, Christ did not please himself. You just try and get people today to put aside their own pleasure, what it is that they want. In John eight twenty nine, the Bible says, I do always those things that please him. Jesus talking about. Jesus says, hey, I do always those things that please him. Man, what parent wouldn't love to have a child like that? <laughs> I, I do always those things that please mom and dad. That please our, our father or our mother. Well, hey, Jesus could say, I do always those things that please him. He was not striving to please himself. He put aside his own pleasure. He put aside his own rights and he strove to please the Father. If we're going to have a Christ-like mind, then we need to look to please him, not ourselves, right? Boy, for all the energy we had out here in the foyer, I don't know where it all went. I don't know what, I don't know what happened here. Did you guys not do any coffee here this morning or you didn't feel you needed it or something? Uh, yeah, we, we need to... I mean, this is pretty basic, fundamental stuff, but it's also powerful when we're talking about living as a Christian. It's not about pleasing us. If we're going to have uh, uh, the mind of Christ, we need to be selfless. 
What does Luke chapter 9, verse number 23 tell us that we should do? Anybody know off the top of your head? You don't have to look it up. Deny yourself daily. It's a daily thing that we have to do because human nature wants to please itself. Human nature looks out for numero uno, right? That's what we are. So we have to daily say, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to please myself today. To the best of my ability, I'm going to strive to please him. That's what Christ did each and every day. Standing between us and success as a Christian is us. D.L. Moody said, the man that I fear the most is the one who walks under this hat. That's a sobering thought. When Abraham Lincoln was running for presidency of the United States, a reporter asked of him if he feared any of his opponents. After a short pause, he responded, yes, I fear one of them. The reporter was quite surprised because he was doing very well in the polls. He said, really? Which one do you fear the most? Lincoln said, I fear the man named Lincoln. For if I am defeated in this election, it will be by the man named Lincoln. Between us and success as a Christian is us. We have got to be willing to put ourselves aside. Lay aside our pleasure. Lay aside our reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Christ did. When God came in the flesh, it's a pattern that men have and always have had. The desire to climb the ladder of success. The desire to reach a position. To have a position. To hold a position a position of notoriety, a position of worth. But Jesus made himself of no reputation. He set his position aside. Do you know self-promotion really is satanic? We don't, we don't think about it like that. That's a pretty strong statement. But self-promotion is satanic. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, he says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Would you agree that self-promotion is satanic? If you're reading those verses, that was Satan's whole goal, was self-promotion. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, it can't be about self-promotion. Satan wanted to have a position. He wasn't content to be among the highest of the angelic beings. That wasn't good enough. He wanted to be the highest, as the most high. The humility of Christ was a direct and resounding rebuke to Satan. 
Christ did the exact opposite of Satan, what, what Satan would do. Christ humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. Satan was always full of himself. He was always seeking his own. We see a lesson of narcissistic regard. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We mentioned this recently, and it's certainly something that's, it seems like it's more and more on our mind because aren't the signs of the times everywhere? The perilous times and what's going on in our world and the, the, the wars and rumors of wars and, and the amazing uh, environmental things that are going on with regards to the tsunamis and, and uh, earthquakes and eruption of, of uh, volcanoes and these things. You look at it and say, boy, the signs of the times are everywhere. But I think sometimes we forget about the sign of the time that he mentions in verse number 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2, he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's a sign of the time that maybe we haven't even thought about or attributed to the last days, but that's what he says. A picture, a sign of the last days, a time when we know we're getting close to Jesus' return is a, is a day and an hour when men love their own selves. It's going to be characterized by selfishness. Boy, the mind of Christ is the opposite of selfishness. The only one who is truly empty is the man who is full of himself. Our ambition should not to be as like Satan, but to be like the Savior. Paul gave us that ambition when he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's what, that's what he wanted to know. He wanted to know the power of Christ and to know Christ and be like him most of all. There was a famous football coach who was asked, what makes a man fight? What makes a man fight? He answered that question and he said, there are two forces at war in every fighter, the ego and the goal. An overdose of self-love colliding with the ego will make a bum of men who should be champions. Forgetting oneself completely and completely a complete absorption in the goal makes champions out of bums. Forgetting oneself and a complete absorption in the goal makes champions out of bums. How many of you would say, you know what? I know, don't, don't say it, but <laughs> I, I know how much of a bum I am. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. You say it about yourself, right? <laughs> you guys are like, amen, preacher. We know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just we, we, we get really honest with ourselves. We can say, you know what? I know really, I know this man. And I know how far short this man falls. And certainly I wouldn't describe myself as a champion of Christendom. But beloved, when we become absorbed in the goal of being like Christ, 
Christ can make a champion out of a man who should be a bum. That's the amazing thing of what Christ does. It is not about us desiring to be a champion. It's desiring to be like Christ, and Christ makes you a champion. It's the result of the pursuit of him that does that in our life. So we see not only if we're going to have the mind of Christ, that we should have a selfless mind that was very evident and without question, the mind of Christ was a selfless mind. But we see, secondly, it was a mind of service. He was the greatest servant. If we're going to be like Christ, we're going to have that mindset, that mind of service. He said, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now, we are men, but we try and take off the form of a servant. We try and be more than that. Can I ask you, do you look and act like a servant? He said he took upon him the form of a servant. Have you taken on that form? I wonder how much of our service is real service instead of self-promotion. You know, there was, well, I guess let me say it this way. There's some times, regardless of what it is, some people do things only that they may be seen of men. That service, beloved, is not real service. That is self-promotion. When you say, oh, yeah, I'll be happy to do that as long as somebody's going to see it. As long as it's noticed. Well, certainly I'll give out a track when I'm out eating lunch with Brother Glover because I want him to see me give out tracks. But do you give out a track when you're all by yourself? When nobody else is going to see it? When nobody from church is going to say, boy, look at him. He's a soul winner. He's, he's a witness. Is, is he? That's self-promotion. When I'm only going to do that when somebody might see it. If you see trash on the floor, you look around and see if anybody's watching to see if you're going to pick it up. If nobody's watching, you just leave it. But if there's people around, they're going to notice how you keep in God's house clean and you, you pick that up. There's many people here that come in and clean the church throughout the week, different times. The rest of the church, a lot of people don't even know who it is. But they come in and they're just keeping God's house clean. Service. That's what service is. It's not to be seen of men. It's not about self-promotion. Jesus, we're going to have the mind of Christ. It's a mind of service. He was the great servant. We know Matthew 20, verse number 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Esteen said, It's high time that the ideal of success should be replaced with the ideal of service. You know, something that I strive to remind myself all the time as the pastor 
is that you, as God's people, are not here for me. I'm here for you. I have to remind myself of that and strive to keep a spirit of service for God's people because that's what I'm called of God to do, to serve God's people. The problem is human nature likes to promote ourselves. We like to get our position and, well, I'm the pastor. And people should be serving the pastor. But when we look at it correctly, it's my job to serve you. And because I'm human, I have to continually fight that in my heart and mind and make sure that I'm keeping a servant's spirit. By one day, one of the ladies in the church here, she uh, had a bag of trash. And she handed it to me and said, can you take this to the dumpster? What? I'm the pastor. Out of all these people around here, you couldn't find somebody else to take the trash out? You're going to hand the pastor a bag of trash? Did I say that? No, I didn't say that. But that's the spirit of self. What God did in my spirit as soon as she handed me that is, she, is he said, if you're a servant, how do you respond when you're treated like one? Well, I'm supposed to be a servant. So I say, oh, yeah, I'll gladly take that out because this is what I'm supposed to do. But it's something we all have to fight against. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, we need to have a genuine service. You know, the greatest joy really is found in serving Jesus. There's joy in serving Jesus. It's not just a song. There is joy in serving Jesus. And as we serve Jesus, we will serve others. Too many people spell service, S-E-R-V-E, U.S. That's not how we're supposed to spell it. (laughs) It's not about serving us. We're supposed to have a spirit of service. Someone said the best exercise for our heart is to bend down several times a day and help someone else. You might say, well, I don't have a lot of talent or ability. Join, join the club. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's looking for pliability. He's looking for dependability. And we can all do those things. We know that there's joy in doing what God said. In John thirteen seventeen, he says, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You say, boy, God wants me to be happy. Yes, he does. And he said, if you know these things, happy are ye 
if you do them. Doing what we know God wants us to do will make you happy. Karl Marx could quote word for word Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet he died an atheist. See, there's a big difference between knowing a few things in your head and doing it from your heart. Happy are ye if you do them. You can know the truth, but the joy comes in doing the truth. We see, thirdly here, the mind of Christ was a mind of submission. The mind of Christ is a submitted mind. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If there's anything that's built into the nature of man, man's sin nature, it is a protest against any form of submission. You take the smallest infant and that protest is evident in that infant's life. Any form of submission, it doesn't matter what it is, that little infant from the smallest of, 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 of size or age, the youngest of age, he, he's protesting any form of submission. No, because he wants his way and he's going to fight against that. And you take that all the way up to the oldest one among us and we still fight against it. That's human nature. But if we're going to be Christ-like, we have to fight against that and embrace submission because that's what Christ did. He humbled himself and became obedient. John 4.34 says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Christ, again, submitting to do the will of the Father. Submitting. How... Submitted are we. The author of life submitted to death for you and I. Not just any death, he submitted to the death on the cross. You know, the, the death on the cross was so brutal that it was against the law for another Roman to be killed that way. They wouldn't, you know, they would only crucify the worst of criminals. And then only if they weren't Romans, because it was too brutal to do to one of their own. That's the death that he submitted to. This mind of submission is not something we can just do on our own. This mind of submission is not something we can just have because we make a decision to do so. That's a start. But we need the power of the Spirit of God to do it. The mind of Christ is by the Spirit of Christ. Paul said, we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have the mind of Christ. That is available to us through the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you much rather have the mind of Christ than the mind of the world or the mind of sinful man, but to embrace and have the mind of Christ? 
Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's very clear. To be carnally minded is death. To pursue this world and its ambitions and these things is death. It's going to kill you spiritually. It's going to deprive you of your joy. And we know that. But why is it so many times, even as Christians, we're still carnally minded? To be spiritually minded is life and peace. How many of you want peace in your life? Amen. All of us. To be spiritually minded, that's what brings that. The mind that is alive chooses spirituality over the flesh. Let me ask you, as we conclude here, how can you have the mind of Christ this week? We see the mind of Christ as a mind of submission. It is a mind of service. It is a mind of selflessness. So let's get practical now and say, okay, this week I can have the mind of Christ or, or display or exercise the mind of Christ in my life by serving others, doing something for somebody else. As was somebody said, the best, best uh, exercise for the heart is to bend down several times a day and do something for somebody else. Any other ideas how you can have or display the mind of Christ this week? See, we don't want the lessons to just pass over our heads and, and say, oh boy, that was good. Yeah, we need to do that, but let's think about how can we implement it. Submitting to, Submitting to the authorities that are in your life. Welcome back, Sajani. Good to have you home. And Melanie and Olivia and Bo. Glad that you guys are here. Akira, welcome back. I thought you were saying she had a, uh, a way of, of uh, being like Christ. Yeah, see, you're not, I just saw these all just sitting right here in a row, but good to have you back. Was your dad picking you up yesterday morning? Or were you back earlier than that? Okay. Well, that's it. No, no other ideas about how we can have the mind of Christ this week? Yes. Being in church. Happy are ye if you do them, right? Say, well, we know what God wants us to do. So let's do those things this week. And that can help us have the mind of Christ, displaying the mind of Christ. That's good. Armando. Yeah, that's very good. Brother, uh, Brother Terry Coomer calls it the moment of impact. Every one of us, we have a moment of impact. When temptation comes, when something comes in your life, you have the moment of impact. And the, the key is identifying that. Like he just said, you identify those thoughts of self-promotion or selfishness and say, wait, that's not what Christ wants. So you replace that with selflessness. 
That's good. I hope that you continue to ponder and think about these things and, and uh, that we strive to have the mind of Christ. We're coming into Christmas, and uh, I'm going to be referencing this text. I won't be spending long there because we, we've talked about it uh, here through Sunday school, but in the morning service uh, today, we'll be referencing that. I mean, this is the Christmas season, and, uh, you know, having the mind of Christ, uh, being like Christ, hopefully as, as believers, that is what we